right. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, and I, I, I was asked in between the services, and it, it's a reminder for me to let you know, uh, I did not crash and burn with this, okay? It's, this is not road burn, rug burn or any sense. I had some things uh, frozen off my, my uh, face, and, um, and so they'll go away eventually. And as I've been telling people, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Okay, so... Uh, but I am getting it burned. I, I got, had them take off before my daughter's wedding, which is on January 3rd. So uh, I, I'm, it'll all be healed by then. All right. So we are one week from Christmas, folks. We're one week. And uh, we'll gather here again uh, this time next week. And, and we'll, we'll focus once again on our Lord and Savior. But in preparation for today, I wanted to kind of look at it, uh, look at Christmas, uh, prepare our hearts for Christmas uh, by looking at a text in Colossians. We, we've already read it. Uh, the portion that was read, verses 7, three, 7 through 20, is a larger portion. Uh, we're going to focus on verses uh, 15 through 20 uh, today in Colossians chapter 1. Um, but it's, it's really with the idea of, of seeing Christ uh, for who he is. Uh, so I, I wanted to start off with this text of Scripture. And it's out of uh, John chapter 12, and it says, Now there, and now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. These words, we wish to see Jesus, are words that are, uh, are on many pulpits. It's not on our pulpit, uh, but I've seen it on other pulpits, and it's one of those customary things uh, where to remind the preacher that the purpose of this point in time in a worship service is to uh, speak the Word of God, uh, is to talk about Jesus, is to clearly reveal Him and, and not get caught up in uh, other activities of which churches are prone to do. So I thought this was a good reminder for today that as we go into Christmas, we need to, we need to see Jesus. Uh, throughout this uh, sermon, I will probably keep referring over here because I did this in the first service. There is a manger scene over here with a uh, portrayal of Jesus as a baby. I'll put it that way. Oh, by the way, I, I was very thankful to have the kids sing. They weren't in the first service. So when I said you'll see them tonight, we got to see them this morning. That was glorious. Thank you very much. That was wonderful. And I hope you'll come out again tonight to, to see some more uh, and to uh, worship God. Uh, as, as, uh, as a group with them tonight. But, uh, so I'll be referring to, to uh, baby Jesus at times. Uh, but as, uh, as we think, seek to see Jesus, uh, we just need to take, we need to see Jesus for who he is. And I, and I wanted to start off with just the challenge and the recognition that Jesus Christ is king. Much of what I'm going to say today was prompted by my 12th grade Bible class, uh, as we were studying, we were just we're doing a survey through the New Testament, and we were in Colossians this past week, and, and I engaged in this, in this particular text, and I just haven't been able to get out of my mind since. And as we, as we think about seeing Jesus for who he is, what, what I want to hopefully convince you to appreciate, and what I'm appreciating more and more, as, as Jesus Christ was in the manger in Bethlehem, there was nothing deficient in his divinity or his humanity. He was fully God while lying there as a baby. It will probably have more impact upon you when, when we get into this text we're going to study today. But I wanted to start off with just this reminder that Jesus Christ is king. 
It is not up for discussion, debate. He's not elected. It is his rightful place in creation and in our hearts. King Jesus. But Jesus Christ is king, and I just wanted to clarify whether he's in the manger, on the cross, or seated at the right hand of the Father, he is always king. And, and, uh, and we can rejoice in that. So uh, this particular slide is just basically my heartbeat. This was something that we, you know, we have a, pro, uh, uh, a website we uh, subscribe to, and, and this graphic was on there. I added the Colossians 1, 15 through 20. But really, as we think about glory to the newborn king, I like the fact that in this graphic, newborn king is very small. Jesus was very small as a newborn king. But glory, glory that... That greatest good of all men of all time is to ascribe glory to God. It is something we give lip service to, if not heart service to. But hopefully, I think many of us seek to glorify God in all that we think, all that we say, and all we do. We truly desire to glorify God with our lives. I think glorifying God, at least living in light of that, is a mark of spiritual maturity, of understanding that as we live on this earth with all the difficulties that we face and with all the twists and turns of life, no matter, as we studied last week, no matter what trials may come, we can rejoice. Why? Because God is sovereign, and as sovereign, He is worthy of all glory. And so I hope you'll just uh, bear with me this morning and join me this morning as we seek to kind of focus on this aspect of Jesus as the newborn King. We're going to see in this text, as we look through verses 15 through 20, there's going to be basically three parts to what it, some believe is a hymn. Uh, I, I'm not going to present it as a hymn. I'm not going to talk about it really as a hymn. But I will say that this particular, uh, these particular verses are recognized as having theological depth and uh, cause a person's mind and heart to wonder uh, about what's going on there and just uh, and praise God as, as a result of it. And, and we're going to see the first part of it, uh, verses uh, 15, 16, 17, and 18. We're going to see that, that Jesus has a relationship with creation. We live in this creation every day. And so I want to just uh, uh, look at this. For, we'll start off with this uh, this. Point, Jesus Christ is preeminent over creation. What does preeminence mean? So uh, if we talk about a king and we are in, and, and I'll, I'll say in an earthly kingdom, we know that Jesus is king of kings, right? And we know he is Lord of lords. But if we talk about him being king of kings, there are kingly realms in our world, at least in history, but certainly in our world today, we're not in a kingdom type of situation now as we are citizens of the United States. But as we talk about kings, when you're in a kingdom, the preeminence goes to the king. He is of first importance in that kingdom. In Great Britain, when the king uh, died and, and uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, ascended to the throne, it was God saved the queen. It was the idea that she was of first importance. There was there was nothing more important, there was no, important, no more important citizen of the kingdom than the, the, the queen or the king, whoever is ruling. So as we think about the preeminence of Christ, he is of first importance in creation. 
I think we know that to be true, but let's see how the author of Scripture points it out. Because, again, Paul is stepping into the, the church, uh, to the Colossian church, and he's addressing issues that they're having. And what was going on in that day and time where people were diminishing the person and work of Christ? Specifically, the person of Christ. Diminishing him in... Uh, in essence, really, because there was, a, there was a heresy that came around in the church years later after the time of Colossians, but uh, it was in its prototype maybe in that church. But there was, a, there was a heresy that was going out saying Jesus was only human, that he was not God in the flesh. It was called the Arian Controversy. It was dealt with uh, in, in the year uh, 325 uh, A.D., uh, and the church said no. Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. But even in its earliest forms in this church in, in Colossia, uh, Colossae, we see that there are people, and somehow they were struggling with this idea of Jesus being God and man. And I'm saying as we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, he must be God and he must be man for for both uh, for our sins to be paid for through his humanity as he died in our place on the cross, and to be effective for all people at all time because of his timelessness as, as God the Son. So Jesus Christ is preeminent over creation. This is the first part of this section, the first part of this hymn, so to speak, as we look into it. So he is preeminent over creation. And what we see in this first few verses, the uh, first few words, is Jesus is the revelation of God to mankind. Christ in the flesh. We see in this text, he is the image of the invisible God. Without creation, this, these words could not be written. Jesus, by being God the Son, coming into flesh for the first time in physical form. Now, I know he had, there, were, there were manifestations of Jesus prior to his actual birth, and we can talk about that another day. But in physical form, as, as a child in the manger, Jesus became the image, the icon of the invisible God. We know we don't see God. We believe God is everywhere present. God is present in this room. The Holy Spirit is lives within us as believers. Jesus Christ is head over the church. We're going to look at that a little bit later. But we're going to see as, as he is a person, a, a, uh, a child who grew to be a, a boy, a young man, and a full-grown man, we know that he was the image of the invisible God. In, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that he was the express image of God. When you saw Jesus, you saw God the Father. That's why when Philip came on the scene and, and he was talking with Jesus and Jesus was confusing him and he didn't quite understand it, he was just like, Jesus, show us the Father. And then Jesus says, Philip, have I been long with you? So, I think it's Philip. Have, have I been with you so long that you do not know me? Jesus was speaking as the Father in that particular moment because he says, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ is the icon, the image of the invisible God. That which we cannot see with human eyes, we see in the person of Christ. That's because of his relationship to creation. It goes on to say, in this text, it says, the firstborn over all creation. Uh, we see there, Jesus holds the position of highest honor over all creation. Now, these, these words, the firstborn over all creation, are words that certain groups have used throughout history to include the Arians, 
but also Jehovah's Witnesses and other groups to claim that Jesus Christ is human. And I, I told you I had a recent encounter with some Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door. They were very pleasant individuals. We had a discussion, but I made sure this topic came up. Jesus Christ is, is not the firstborn over all creation as in the first created being. That is what they believe this text is saying. They're saying that being, by being the firstborn he is somehow a created being. That is not what this text is saying. It, 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 we'll see it when we get into verse 16. It explains what this firstborn of all creation really means. But when we look at this word firstborn, let's consider it. It can mean chronological. Steve, my eldest brother, is the firstborn within our family. He's 10, 10 and a half years older than me. I'm the baby. We talked about this before the service, and babies rock. Okay, I'm just saying so. But listen, babies, I mean, I'm the baby, but I am farthest thing. I am the farthest thing from the firstborn. I am lastborn. And we can have fun with that. But in, in Jewish society and throughout probably much of the uh, old, uh, ancient Near East, we, firstborn was a, place, uh, was a uh, position of entitlement. It was in a place of honor. We know that those who uh, received an inheritance, the oldest would receive a double portion. There was significance to that, that, uh, that birth order, but it also just came to be, the word firstborn just kind of meant the idea of honor, a place of honor. And so Jesus is in the place of honor over all creation. It's not just, he is not a created being, he is the one who is, uh, has all honor. So he holds this position of highest honor. Notice it's over, let me go back, over all creation. We're going to see this word a lot. And so I want you to understand, we're often uh, cautioned not to, use, to, to, to not use the words always and never and all and these type of things. No, when we're talking about Jesus and God, we can use this word in full confidence that it means what it says. It's the idea of he is in a place, he's in uh, first place, place of prominence, place of preeminence over all creation. Why is that possible? How, how can Paul say that to the Colossians? Well, he says, first of all, he is the creator of all creation. Now, I, I want you to understand, as we gather here, this is like, yeah, pastor, we've known this since like fourth grade, maybe even third, maybe even younger. But we're sitting in a church that's struggling with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul is trying to get them to understand, no, whatever these false teachers, whatever these influences are upon you, don't miss out that, that the gospel is anchored in the personal work of Jesus Christ. If you've come to faith in who he is and what he's done, you cannot have a deficient view of Christ. And my challenge for, for us today is just to understand as we go into Christmas, we can't have a deficient view of Jesus as a child and the baby. Let's remember he is king in that cradle. But he is king. He is the creator of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible. Paul is, is laying this out for the Colossians. He's saying, by Jesus, all things, there we see it again, were created. Everything that has ever been created in both heaven and earth. And I think he fleshes this out, or he makes this a little clearer. Uh, where the things on earth are obviously visible. The things in heaven are invisible. But it doesn't matter what realm we're talking about. It doesn't matter what, what um, 
uh, area of the world we might be or whether we're uh, uh, in space or wherever. Wherever we see creation, we see the work of Jesus Christ because he created all things. I think heaven here could very easily mean the heavens as in uh, the stars. And, and uh, there was a particular time on our trip in Zambia where I'm so thankful I was able to be outside uh, in, the, in the pitch blackness of night and see the amazingly clear sky of stars and constellations that I don't normally see at the angles they were at. Right in October, I think I think I look up in the sky and I, I look to see certain constellations. And I was down there, and I'm looking like I'm seeing different constellations. I'm seeing things differently from where I'm at. Or if it's the same constellation, it's in a different orientation, being south of the equator. But it was absolutely glorious. And they were created. The heavens, the stars, were created by Jesus Christ. It doesn't just stop with the heaven and earth and the stars and the, and the trees. and all. That. It's the visible and invisible. Jesus Christ. There's a realm that we do not see that Jesus created. I do believe we'll see it one day when we're in God's presence and we'll be able to see angels and we'll be able to uh, have this, this uh, uh, visual experience. And it will not scare us. It will... It will enliven worship in our lives as we see the full creation of God, the full creation of Jesus Christ. All things were created in heaven and earth, visible and all uh, and invisible. So we see that He is He is the Creator of all creation, but He's also the Creator of all powers. Uh, let's, let's, I want to I'll use a visual here in a moment, but in, in uh, but let me just mention this: this Creator of all powers. It goes on in the text to say whether this is talking about Jesus, whether He created whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Now, if 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 a power creates another power. The original power, we know this through energy as we talk about, maybe you're an engineer or a scientist or something. We know that energy is, uh, is something that conveys power. But if you diminish that energy, right, if you separate it into, then, then it's not, no subset of that energy is as great as the original energy. It's just not going to be that way uh, unless you're a smarter scientist than I am. I'm just saying when we talk about the thrones and dominions and principalities or powers, we're talking about Jesus created all power, all creation and all power. So we're familiar with the idea of thrones, but let's just, for some people believe this is uh, uh, segments of angelic domain, right? So part of the invisible would be the thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. I don't know if it's, I think it's both visible and invisible. There is no created thing that is not somehow tied to the personal work of Jesus Christ. There is no power that did not come into being apart from the personal work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is king. Jesus is creator. He created all these things. I asked my um, Bible class uh, when, they were, uh, when we were going through this portion, and uh, I said, listen, you know, this trying to wrap, my, wrap our minds uh, around this is uh, if you have creation, right, re- represented by, well, actually, we'll just say that's, that's creation. If, if that's the extent of creation, which no human eye has ever seen the edge of, 
no matter how powerful our telescopes are, we do not see to the end of creation. But if Jesus Christ created all things, then if we could see the edge, once we saw past that edge, we would see God. God transcends creation. But he also transcends time. And this is what we focused on a little bit on class. You know, I asked the class, what do you have when, you, when time runs out? When time is all done, we are driven by time. I, I have a clock here. I have it on my computer. I have it on my wrist. I will try not to go too long. I fail more times than not. But I'm telling you, I'm cognizant of time because it rules many aspects of our life. But what happens... When time runs out, what happens when time, if this represents time, what happens? Because God transcends time. What happens? When time runs out, when time is no more, we have eternity. Which is, in my view, is not a measurement of time because it can't be measured. It's reality. We're in the presence of God. So whether it's creation, whether it's matter, whether it's time, whether it's anything, what we see is that there is creation was created for Jesus, and creation has no purpose outside of a relationship with Jesus. So folks, every time we get out of bed and every time we walk and see the sun, the, the rain, the snow, Every time we, we feel the cold or the warmth of the sun, whatever aspect of creation we're experiencing, we are experiencing the person and work of Christ in some fashion because he did it all. And he, he was responsible for that, and yet he submitted himself to come into the world as a child, as an infant, helpless to care for his own self, dependent upon the very creation that he created. But we see in this last, uh, this last point, creation was created for him. We actually see this in this text. All things were created through him. We kind of hit this a couple times. All things. We get it. Jesus Christ is responsible for all aspects of creation. But notice, all things were created through him. But now we have added some very important details that all creation, everything was created for him. Remember, all glory is to be given to God. Glory in the highest. Glory to the newborn king of first importance in his creation. The created order was put in place by him, through him, for him. We do not live in this existence for our own well-being and for our own, you know, fun life or fulfilling life. We, we are here to glorify Jesus Christ. We are here to live for his preeminence, because he is preeminent over creation. That's what we're, that's what we're hitting, hitting on through this whole thing. Jesus Christ is preeminent over creation. But what, what really blew my mind many years ago and continues to blow my mind as I think about it is this next verse, which, or the next portion of the verse that says, Jesus is the sustainer of all creation. He created it. He created all, all matter, all power. He created, but he's also the sustainer. So, and this is, the, this is the verse that really caught my attention as I think of Christ lying in a manger, is that, and he, Jesus, is before all things. There's, that's important for us to understand, and we'll get there. And in him, all things consist. All things consist. 
All things are held together. As I understand it, no scientist can explain how the particles of this, of all matter, but certainly of even our person, stay together. There's, there, no matter what our microscope can look into at the depth of what they are, they cannot see the power that holds everything together. And, and certainly they're not going to claim it's Jesus Christ, but we can say on the basis of the authority of Scripture, Jesus Christ is, is the sustainer of all things. In Him, all things consist And when he was lying in that manger as a baby, he was literally holding the cosmos together. I get tired when I hear unbelievers diminish Jesus on any level. On any level. I I struggle with... I can get past a whole lot of profanity, all right? Um, And certainly I saw, heard a lot of that, and it doesn't really bother me too much in a military context. But where I always stopped the conversation was when they brought the name of my Lord and Savior in on, on center stage. And, and, and uh, I, I would do it as tactfully and as politely. I would not rebuke them. I would call to their attention what they were saying because we are all, as Christ is preeminent, of first importance. He's of first importance in everyone's life, of all creation, they were failing to recognize that in that moment. And yet, in that very moment where they were, they were demeaning him, he was holding them together. You know, it's just an amazing thing for us to, to fathom that this is the Savior to whom we worship and whom we are accountable to and who has saved us. So he is before all things. That touches on Jesus' eternality. Uh, there was, uh, there's a still to this day belief that Jesus isn't God, he's just man. But here he's saying he's before all things. He's not the first of creation, he was before all. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Jesus. All right? As, a, as God the Son. He is the one who created, he is the one before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the God that we must recognize is in direct relation with his creation since he became part of it. But we also see that he mu- we must see Jesus in relation to the church, our body of believers, us today, here, but certainly church all, churches all over the world. Uh, as, as, we, as we look here, we see we must see Jesus in relation to this church. It's a simple way. Jesus Christ is preeminent of first importance in the church. I think this is two aspects, uh, the first two aspects of the, if it's a him, is it's kind of drawing out. He's preeminent over creation. He's preeminent over the church. Some people have voiced that as he's preeminent over the new creation. Because we are part of the new creation as, as the church. We're not citizens of this kingdom. We're citizens of a different kingdom. We are part of what Christ is preeminent over, and we are to live this out, which, if I can say this, the preeminence of Jesus Christ is to be lived out in the lives of all Christians. I think in this sense, the burden I have for my own life and for yours is the idea that to live out the preeminence of Christ in every area of our life is foremost for God's glory, but it's also for our good. But as we talk about this preeminent over the church, it's definitely for our good. But the church has a mission. Remember, 
God in us reveals Christ, excuse me, Christ in us reveals Christ to our community. There's this aspect of the world that is, is under the, the, the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ, and they do not recognize it, that does not diminish their responsibility. But their only way they may ever see the preeminence of Jesus Christ is by us living it out in our lives. By us making decisions that show that we truly believe that Christ is of first importance in our life. Here we go. In, in this, uh, this section, verses uh, 18, 19, 20, or 19, 20, 21, uh, 19 and 20, excuse me, says Jesus holds a position of highest honor over the church. He is the head. I, it is verse 18. I for, uh, Forgive me. It says he is the head of the body, the church. So going back to the, to, um, the beginning of this portion, it says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then in verse 18, it says he is the head of the body, the church. And so we see that Jesus Christ is uh, of, of uh, uh, the, he is, has all authority as, uh, as Matthew 28 uh, 18 through 20 t- teaches us all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth go therefore make disciples of all nations right so we see this and he's the head of the body the church so now we're in the context of the church and this him we have gone from all creation down to the church very narrowed uh, focus here but we see that his resurrection that we believe that he did as a child, becoming, growing in a young boy, a man, and hanging on that cross, dying, buried, third day rose again. His resurrection enables the resurrection of all the church. We are the church. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. It's the idea of Christ is preeminent over all creation, but he's also creation uh, preeminent over the church. But he's, that's just basically saying he's preeminent over everything. He's the firstborn from the dead. As we looked in verse uh, 15, it said that he was uh, firstborn over creation. He is of first importance over the creation. He is first of importance over the dead. In other words, yes, chronologically, he's the first one that resurrected and stayed resurrected. But we know that in the Old Testament and in other places in the New Testament, there were people who had died who came back to life. But he's saying, listen... He is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning. With the beginning of what? The beginning of the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. We are also born from the dead. If we have been baptized with Christ, we have been buried in the likeness of a death. We are raised in newness of life. We, this teaching is throughout Scripture. We are told that as the church, we are guaranteed resurrection because of what Jesus Christ has done. Why is all that important? Because Jesus is demonstrating that he is preeminent over all things. Jesus Christ's preeminence means he is able to reconcile not just human beings, but all creation. Look at this. He possesses the fullness of God. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the third section of, of this portion. But notice it says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So there's something that's pleasing the Father. It's something that is uh, unfathomable for us. But he says, It pleased the Father that in Jesus all the fullness should dwell. The fullness of what? It's not actually in the text. In your in translations, it may say the fullness of God. Uh, I'm not sure what translations might be in the room, but it will add those words. Those will probably be in the italics 
but it's saying it pleased the Father that in Jesus, as we're dealing with the context and this hymn of praise to God, it's saying that in the fullness of God should dwell in this child in a manger. The fullness of God. Nothing lacking. Nothing deficient. It was all present. Now we know from Philippians 2 that he laid some of these, these uh, aspects down in the sense that he submitted them to the Father and said, I will not exercise these div- divine attributes as a child, as a human being. I will follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But nonetheless, he was fully God at all times. And it pleased the Father who is invisible to... to Uh, allow the Son as His express image to have the fullness dwell within Him. This is deep Christology. This This is helping us understand this Savior whom we worship every week, and yet sometimes I think we forget that He's more than just a man. He's the God man. He made peace with God the Father through His sacrifice on the cross. So Jesus Christ's preeminence is over creation, it's over the church, but it's over all things, because it says here, it goes on to say, um, verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things, there's that word, all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. This is a, this is a portion of Scripture where Paul is right in the beginning of the book of Colossians where he's calling believers' hearts and minds to understand the importance of Christ in their life, of having an accurate view of Christ and having and understanding the importance that they had to live it out day by day. Uh, Some of you are familiar with um, uh, an outline. I'll just share it for you. It's CFR. Uh, or CFRR, Creation, Fall, Redemption, Restoration. Uh, it's, it's used in a lot of articles and books nowadays to kind of summarize the big picture of Scripture, right? Uh, creation, we know God created. The fall of man, creation, fall. And then redemption, what Jesus Christ did because of who He is and what He's able to do on our behalf. That's redemption. We are redeemed. But ultimately, restoration. When all things are brought together, sin is dealt with with finality, and and we are forever with the Lord. So as we think about that, that's kind of what this is portraying, that that, uh, the Father, it pleased the Father that the fullness of God should dwell in this human Jesus to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on the earth or in heaven. Again, there's the extent of of the creation, having made peace. Peace with who? Peace between who? Peace between creation and God. Remember, in the, the fall of man, it wasn't just man who was cursed. It was the land, too. The world was cursed, and we see that. We know the world is even groaning to this day to be restored to its fullness, to this full glory that it once gave to the Lord. It says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The central aspect of history is the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, we have the creation, and yes, we have the restoration. But in the plan of God, it was at the cross of Christ. When he shed his blood on our behalf, that is when redemption became a reality for us. So we we can ask ourselves, is Jesus Christ preeminent in our church? We know he's preeminent over the church, but is he preeminent in our church? We went from the cosmos down to the church, down to our church. And ultimately, we can go down to, is Jesus Christ preeminent 
in your life is he preeminent in mine? How do we know if Jesus is preeminent in our life? I have a simple answer for that, but I want to just emphasize again that as we talk about this preeminence, it's a, the preeminence of Christ is supposed to change the way we walk day by day. It is, it is supposed to be lived out in every area of our life because this is how we know God is God. This is how we allow others to see God working in our life. But how do we know if Jesus is preeminent in life? This is, this is uh, the question that I asked my Bible class. And uh, first response after a brief silence was social media. Uh, I asked the question, what gets in the way of us having Christ as preeminent in our life? And the first question, I think it was the only one, uh, and Elizabeth, you, might have, you may have a different memory. You may have to help me uh, remember that. But it was the idea of social media. I'm like, well, that's true. But I, consider how you might answer this question. Let's take the 12th graders off the hook for a minute. How do we know Jesus preeminent in our life? What gets in the way of, our, of, of him being preeminent in our life? I only had one answer. And, and I think all those other things are true, the minor things, but I, I don't think that our Christian life is characterized by the mundane, such as social media. I think our, care, our, our Christian life is often uh, hindered uh, in terms of a clear walk of the Lord because of our passions. Jesus is preeminent when our passions are subjected to him. We're talking preeminence. We're talking first importance. We're talking the most important thing in our life. And what gets in the way? Our passions. The things that we pursue. The things that we pursue apart from an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is preeminent in our life. Now granted, if your passion is subjected to the preeminence of Christ, praise God. Have your passions. Live them out to His glory. Give all glory to God. But I, I thought this was challenging for me. And I hope it's challenging for you. As we approach Christmas, as we think about all the traditions and all the gifts and all the ways we have historically celebrated or recognized the birth of our Savior. And as I said in the family happenings, I hope, it's, I hope God makes it extra special for you this year. And I hope this might be part of it. Is that Jesus Christ is preeminent and therefore, our very passions in life should take a second, uh, a very far back seat to him having rule over our life. He is king in that cradle. He is king on the cross. He is king at the right hand of God the Father right now. And he is a king who is returning, praise God. And we need to help people be ready for our king to return. When we subject our passions to the preeminency of Christ, our community will see Christ in us. And Lord willing, they will come to faith in the very king that we say we have come to faith to. I wanted to finish with this scripture verse. How can we make Christ preeminent in our life? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what we're called to do. Seek His kingdom first. Glory to the newborn King. Father, I thank You for this time that we've had in Your Word. Father, we praise You for the marvelous expression 
I should say, expressions of your creative work throughout all of creation. Thank you that we can see the trees and the, and the flowers and the animals around us and say, we did not create those. They're intricate in detail. From the largest of beasts to the smallest of microbes, Lord, you've created them all. And when we see your creation, we are without excuse because there, we know there is a creator. But praise you, Father, for revealing in your word that our creator has a name. It's Jesus Christ. And it's in him that we have our purpose. It's in him that we can glorify you. He is our redeemer if we've come to faith in him. And so, Father, we pray that as we focus on Jesus today, that we would see him maybe in a new light. No matter what stage of his uh, rulership, whether it was in his pre-creation presence with you in in the community of the Trinity, whether it's in his infancy, whether it's in his young boyhood, whether it's in his manhood, whether it's in the, on the cross or in the grave or in his resurrection or his ascension or is it his current ministry or in his coming again. Father, no matter what aspect of his ministry that we consider, we know that he is of first importance. And when we worship him, we worship you. Father, there's so much for us to learn about the person and work of Jesus Christ. But thank you for making it so simple that we can come to faith that Jesus Christ is God the Son who hung on a cross to pay for our sins. Fully God, fully man, so that we might be redeemed. I pray, Father, if there's anyone here today that has never come to faith in who Jesus is, and what he has done on their behalf. I pray that you'd call them to faith today. May they see Jesus no longer as simply baby Jesus in a manger, but may they see the full picture of Christ as cross and cradle. Lord, may they come to faith in the preeminent one. And Father, may you be glorified in that coming as they place their faith in him. Father, but for, for mo- many of us, most of us in this room, we are, we are fully aware of who Christ is. But we struggle in areas of our life to truly allow Jesus to be preeminent, to be of first importance. We have our thoughts that we should never think, and we confess that to you. We have our actions that we should never do, and we confess those to you. We have our words, Father, that are often unkind and, and, and uh, not thought out totally. And we sin against you. And we, we thank, we're thankful that we can bring all of our thoughts, our actions, our words to you and submit them to you at the foot of the cross. Because it was at the cross where redemption was made available. Father, draw us to the cross at Christmas. And may you be glorified as we live out our faith in our community so that they might see that Jesus makes a difference in our life.
in the way we raise our families, in the way we work within our workplace, within the way we, we treat others, in the way we handle our finances, in the way we study for our school, in the way we live out our marriages, in the way we parent. Father, may we truly understand that there's no area of our life that does not need the preeminence of Christ to confront it and redeem it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.